Welcome to episode four of Time Stop. I'm your host, Liam Niemeyer. In this series of episodes, we explore two stories surrounding dates in history. Dates in history that changed an individual, impacted a community, and transformed the worlds of many. This episode continues the story of a devastating tornado 50 years ago that ripped apart a town's identity. The date was April 23, 1968. The time was 4.05 p.m. To listen to the first part of this story, stop this recording now and listen to Episode 3 of Time Stop. In the last episode, we followed the story of the Finn family, the two sisters, Naomi and Donna, who spent the hours after the tornado sneaking through the woods past the Ohio National Guard to see if their family was still alive. In the end, their family survived. But there's more to this story and what happened in this town. And for that, we'll go once again through the winding hills to Wheelersburg. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh Uh-huh, nice to meet you. Hey, guys. That's my daddy. Nice to meet you. They're Jack and Jean, but they're Mr. and Mrs. Riggs. I know you probably But they go by Jack and Jean. Nice to meet you. Fred and Wilma. Yeah. <laughs> Their name is Fred and Wilma. Yeah. Oh, yeah? But they yeah. go by Jack and Wilma. The 93-year-old Jack Riggs lives with his wife, Wilma, in a one-story ranch home in a subdivision that sits atop Dogwood Ridge overlooking downtown Wheelersburg. Almost 94. Oh, yeah? Hey. When's your birthday? June. Fred's my name, but they call me Jack ever since the first grade. Nine, I was... I forget now how old I would have been in tornado 40-some. And a lot different than I am now. <laughs> in 1968, Jack and his family moved into Wheelersburg into a newly built home. Today, the house looks new as ever. Awards hanging from the walls of Jack's time as a Sunday school teacher. And the family is giving me the grand tour. See you Stained and burnished, get them all. <laughs> all through the house. It looks nice. Yeah. That's the only change he made in the house after the tornado. He put the spindles there. That was closed all the way to the thing. And he just opened that when he built it back. So he built it back the very same. Wow. So, I mean, the spindles were added, and then this is basically just more or less what that the same <laughs> Wow. This newly built home that Jack took out a loan to pay for in 1968 was in fact built twice within the span of a year. But the Riggs family wouldn't realize that fact until that fateful day. Like with the Bays family and countless other families, kids across town arrived back home from school around 3.30 p.m. that day. And so did Judy, Jack's daughter, who was in seventh grade at the time. We were gonna, we were gonna, all of us girls was about 4:30 was gonna take a bike ride. Back then, you just rode. We were gonna ride to Cidaville, which is the next town <laughs> past us. Um, but I don't know what even happened. Probably because of this, because it wasn't stormy out or anything. It was a beautiful day. It was just sunny and just calm, and not, not even a rainy, gloomy or nothing. Jack says he remembers the house smelling of strawberry rhubarb pie that Wilma was baking. He had just returned home from his job at the local insurance company when he looked outside 
and saw the neighborhood paper boy having a hard time. The paper boy was going down in front and all once his papers blow away. I said that paper boy every one of his papers blowing away. And I looked across the street and them shingles was raising up like he was getting ready to leave. And my wife looked in the distance there and she said, there's something bad coming. And then mom looked out and she said, you go get my rug, it's blowing. And it was like blowing in a circle when I went out in the yard to get it. She and I looked up and like I said, it didn't look like a funnel or anything like that, like you see on TV, but it looked like rolling just sand and like a sandstorm, you know. And she said, we were at the basement. It looks like what they have out there where Linda goes to college. You know, we didn't even know the name. Of it. We didn't even call it a tornado then. Shingles were starting to rip off the roof and windows were starting to break. Wilma and Judy went downstairs while Jack remained upstairs, determined to see what was outside. Wind was picking up then. So I... I went down to the basement, but when I went down to the basement, started down, the dog come upstairs from the basement. And he had always go to the basement and stay. And something was happening, but that day he come back up in the house. And mom kept saying, Jack, you better come down here, you know. I still wasn't that scared. I mean, I, I didn't know what it was. You know, and I was with mom, I wouldn't leave her side. And then when she kind of got forceful and said, Jack, you better come down here, you know. But then I remember, like Dad said, when he come down, the windows all started breaking up here. And, you know, I, I still just thought it was a bad storm. And he said, I'm going to have to replace every window in my house, you know. And I went to the basement. And my wife and daughter were back in the corner. I didn't have the room back there then. So I just went to the basement, stood there, and they were one of the posts of the basement behind me. The wind was so powerful, the glass sliding doors in the basement blew inward, falling onto the floor. Within seconds, things turned for the worst. The whole house, you'd think just little pieces of it would go. The whole house was all from the, from the, you know, base of the basement floor, just you could see air stood it stayed there for a while like that it just like a magic carpet it just lifted and you could look and then it just that noise like a train or whatever they say it sounds like like a big swoosh and and that's when mom when that did that mom told me shut my eyes and lay down and she laid on top of me After the house left, it was just like death, almost quietness. No birds, no nothing. Like when it was done, it was like two or three seconds. I mean, you know, no time at all. And then the sky was all open, and I just said, Mom, I said, we're going to have to go find Daddy. He's dead. But we didn't, like, cry and wail. And, you know, if my Daddy had been dead, how I would normally act. And Mom said, I know, sis. And, you know, we just... Just talking said, like know, we, we was gotta, just talking we like gotta this. Find him. Yeah, she said, I know, but we have to find him. And Their home was gone. All that was left was the remaining rubble of their basement, and the three of them still alive. Their dog, Bozo, was dead in the neighborhood street.
I walked around out the back door and around the house, and my neighbor across the street, he was standing in his picture window, and I asked him if he, he told a, the ones that was over there, let's go, we're going to have to go across the street and dig Jack and his family out. And about that time, I went around and hollered at him, told him we was all right over here. He said a load was lifted from him. He thought we were dead, so I thought they was dead. No birds, no noise, no nothing. And so you just was expecting everyone to be dead because it looked like, like you said, it looked like a war zone. And then people started walking, you know, out of their basements and down the street, and then Daddy went up to help, you know. And it just was more and more, you know, that, that it did that, that you was just so thankful because there was a lot of, you know, we all could have been dead, and we weren't. Jack was walking down the street near Dogwood Ridge to check on other families when he heard one of his neighbors crying for help in the distance. I seen her coming across the field, and I and I said, well, "Where was your girls at, Miss Underwood?" And she said, "They was in the house." And I seen them blow away. Barbara Underwood, the mother of two daughters, 15-year-old Linda Underwood, and 10-year-old Brenda Underwood, who lived in a home five houses up from the Riggs family, fate would intertwine the two families that day. First, Linda was about three weeks from her 16th birthday. Uh, she uh, would have been 16 in June. Linda was a social butterfly, according to Barbara, always having friends over. And for Brenda, who is more timid, her closest confidant. After her schoolwork and everything was done, she had friends and, and uh, she went to their house and they come to ours. and. Uh, usually had a had a bunch, yeah. And on Friday night, I'd fix supper, and I never knowed how many I was going to have, because <laughs> there was a lot of kids that would want to go to the ball game, and they didn't have a way to go. So they'd show up at all different times leading up to the ball game. So however many showed up, then that's how many we have for supper. <laughs> See, there are five and a half years difference in their age. And Brenda kind of mothered, or Linda kind of mothered her, yeah. And if, if Brenda had a problem, She'd go to her sister first, yeah. And I can remember when the doctor told me to that I need to explain to Brenda about the birds and the bees, you know, to a degree anyway. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So he gave me a little book, you know, for her to read. Well. She didn't care about it, but I think she read it. But anyway, uh, I talked to her. You know, just fundamental things, because she was getting a little older. She went and told her sister, said, Mom's just flipped out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. 
Around 4 p.m. that day, Barbara was leaving the house to bring medicine to her dad across town. Brenda and Linda had just returned home from school, and Linda had plans to invite friends in a few hours. So I was bringing it over, and and Linda was, she had some things that she wanted to do, and uh, Brenda did too. She had things that, that uh, she usually did, you know, after school. And so I think Linda was going to iron. She was going to do some ironing. And I said, well, I won't be gone very long because we have to get, I have to get supper. She was driving east down Hammerstein Road when the rolling clouds began to darken. It got to looking so, you know, it just looked awful. And I thought, what in the world's the matter? And, I, you know, the, it was clouding up. And, and you, know, uh, you know, you don't notice anything unless it's something different. And so I thought, well, I'll go back home and I'll, I'll do this little, I'll do this little bit later. So I went back down him, turned around in, the, in somebody's driveway, I don't know whose, and went back down the Hammerstein again. And I got over to Dogwood Ridge Road, and of course, you have where we lived. I have had I would have had a right hand turn onto it, and when it, the wind had started blowing and everything by then, and was different, you know. And uh, I got turned, and just a few feet down Dogwood Ridge Road. And the wind blew my car off in the ditch. Her car rammed into the ditch on the left side of the road. Her driver's side door jammed and badly damaged. And I needed to get out that door. And if I couldn't get out that one, I was going to get out the one, you know, the passenger side. But I managed to get out that door. And after, after I, after I did that, and. And, all, I, and I looked at that car the next time I had any reason to. I wondered how I managed to do that, but you managed to do what you need to do. And so I got out there and I ran down the road. Jack Riggs heard her cries for help, and along with his neighbor, Ernie Piles, he found the rubble of Barbara's home scattered across Dogwood Ridge Road and into a farm field. And Jack found the two sisters amidst the rubble, with a downed telephone pole leaning across them. With pure adrenaline, Jack and Ernie pulled the pole off them. We went up to look for the girls after she said, my girl. And I've, they both laying right beside of one another. We found them laying in the rubble of the house. And she was bleeding real bad. The girl was the oldest girl, and she kind of in her face, and she was just like blowing bubbles with that blood in her face, and I, she just quit all at once, and she died while I was looking at her. The Bays family lost some roofing. The Riggs family lost their home. The Underwood family lost Linda, their daughter.
I, I think that I, in, a, in a different way, uh, more like, wonder how long it'll be till I see her, and uh, all the, you know, more like that. And I, I never did go say the Lord brought me through a tornado because that girl was a good Christian girl. And if I'd say the Lord brought me back, well, wonder how he'd say, wonder how come he never brought my daughter back. She was serving God too. So I, it just, I was just in the path of a tornado. And I was just lucky that something never hit me. And An ambulance came to take Brenda and Linda to the hospital in nearby Portsmouth. Barbara and her husband Dick followed, unaware of what Jack had just witnessed. I think some of them had seen the girls and they didn't want to tell, didn't want to be the ones to tell us, I think, more or less what it was. And so, of course, they was taken to the the ambulance came and the girls was taken to to the hospital and so we went you know we went on down to the hospital and uh, I think I, all the doctors in town was there at the hospital and anyway our our family doctor came out and told us that uh, Linda was had been killed and that uh, Brenda, they were taking her to Columbus. We had to come and tell my folks what had happened. And I really, I was really scared about that and so was Dick because Dad was, you know, he was recuperating from a, heart attack and that was really hard for him and uh, he was a he was a good grandpa and so Brenda was in a coma and with her parents by her side was transported nearly 100 miles north to Children's Hospital in Columbus of course she was unconscious a long time around 70 some days something like that she was in the Children's Hospital out in Columbus and uh, I stayed up there with her. And, uh, well, at, at first, both of us stayed around the clock. Eventually, Brenda did wake up, only to find that her sister was no longer by her side. After months of mental and physical therapy, the only visible evidence of her ordeal were a couple of pencil-thin scars on her left cheek and a small circle of a scar on her throat from a tracheotomy to help her breathe during her coma. But after she returned home to Wingersburg, her grief only intensified. She was out of uh, school uh, most of that next year. Now, she was tutored and all. And then towards the end of the school year, then the doctor wanted her to go back to, and, you know, to have the, the um, fellowship with 
the other kids. And of course, that was that was a, a bit different because she would come home upset a lot of times. And then there's the mean kids that you're the tornado, you're the tornado freak, and you're yeah, things like that. And they did that, and you wouldn't think that they would, uh, but they did. Dick has passed away, but both Brenda and her mother still live in the Wheelersburg area. Although Brenda declined to be interviewed for this podcast, Barbara shared with us how she's found peace, and like so many others, it's through religion. You have to, you have to find that place. You have to find that place where that. Uh, you don't just tolerate it. You just you learn to that it's a part of what's happened to you, your family and you and and the girls and all. And uh, God's not a mean uh, person. He's not doing things to get even with you. I think some people look at it like uh, that you've done something, so he's going to do this. Sometimes it would be all, all three of us, and then there was times that each one of us had our own time to go be by herself and cry and and uh, know that you couldn't change it and the Lord knew all about it. I believe he even had a reason for allowing it but I don't know what it was. May never know but it won't matter what the reason was. He gave us the strength to get through it and, and uh, do the best we could, and, and uh, that's about all that you, you can't undo things, and so you have to handle them the best way that you can. I think some people thought we should be mad at the Lord for taking them, taking Linda and, and having Brenda uh, go through all that and all. Uh, I really believe that uh, that there was a lot of people that would would think that that's the way you should should have felt about it, and uh, I don't know what people think it helps if you're mad at the Lord. That's not going to change anything. You still have to depend on Him. It was the small things that helped the Underwood family as time went on: the food from neighbors, the support from extended family and a small dog named Buttons. Well, people have a way, you know, and there there was times that, you know, it was, it was kind of bad, and then there was other times that it would, it would seem like something or someone made it a little bit easier. And then another thing, mom and dad bought uh, Brenda, little Boston Terrier, and uh, that dog could do everything but talk to you. 
As the years went on after the tornado, Barbara asked Brenda about her scars. I thought that that as Brenda got a little bit older, I thought when she got a little bit older, she'd want to have those fixed, you know. And she, the, the doctor up there told her, uh, he said, uh, I talked to her about having fixed, and she says, well, they're not bothering me. They're not bothering me, so hmm. if they're bothering other people, that's their hmm. problem. So she, so she never did hmm. have them fixed. But as she's gotten older, of course, they, you know, that's not as, it, it's not as noticeable. Barbara also has visible reminders of her oldest daughter in the form of pictures of Linda that were salvaged from the wreckage of the home. Miraculously, the photos were not badly damaged as they were protected by a swath of rolled up carpet. I, I believe that the Lord was right there with us all the way along. At least he still is. And even though the Riggs family and the Underwood family are no longer neighbors, Barbara is forever grateful to them for protecting her from seeing the worst. They knew when you went to church and when you did, when you was home and, and all that. Things. It's it's when you live in a little area like that. It's kind of like everybody knows a certain amount of things about the other families, you know, and that makes a big difference. <coughs> and I think uh, just like when I got back over there to, to the house that day, uh, if it wasn't for those people, I would have been in that house trying to see what was going on and and everything. For the Riggs family, even imagining the Underwood struggle gave them a new perspective on how they treated each other. They lost their home and belongings in a moment of time, but that was all. Three months later, and their home was rebuilt. And you you put them back to save them, you know, thinking I'm not going to use my best dishes or I'm not going to use my best clothes or, and then you just realize they're, you know, how fast it can go. Yeah, especially mom. She, I mean, to lay down and, you know, protect me. You know, oh, and I, I, I after I had children. Lay on her and take yeah. care of her. After I had children, then I, I knew in my heart how much mom loved me, you know, and how you would do that to protect them, you know. We were talking across the street about, you know, what we lost and all. And Mr. Underwood said, you guys didn't lose nothing. You can build yours back, but I can't build mine back. Time Stop is reported, produced, and hosted by myself, Liam Niemeyer. Advising from Dr. Elizabeth Hendrickson. If you liked this episode and the rest of the series, give us a rating on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcast. It helps other people like yourself find the show. For pictures from the Wheelersburg tornado and more exclusive content, go to timestoppod.com. And thanks for listening.